Hello, you're listening to 37th in the World, the official podcast of the Georgetown Journal of International Affairs, the flagship academic publication of Georgetown University's Walsh School of Foreign Service. On 37th in the World, we dive into crucial global trends and speak directly with experts working on issues ranging from security to the economy, technology to society, and more. Today's episode is a follow-up on an article published in Spring 2023, entitled Space Commercialization is Closing the Digital Divide but Expanding Global Economic Inequality by Dr. Eitan Tepper. I'm your host, Cal O'Neill. I'm lucky to welcome Dr. Tepper to the podcast to discuss the developments in the global digital divide and how space exploration and use can contribute to the expanding or closing of that gap. Dr. Tepper is a research coordinator and lecturer of space governance at the Graduate School of International Studies of Laval University and a visiting assistant professor and director of the Space Governance Lab at Indiana University Bloomington. He has also worked for the Bank of Israel and the Israeli Foreign Trade Administration, resolving issues related to international trade and cooperation. Dr. Tepper, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I would love to start off by giving the audience some context for our conversation. Back in the spring, you wrote an article discussing the expansion of broadband internet ushered by the rising space economy. Can you define for us what space-based broadband internet is and what makes this communication revolution so significant? Space-based internet uh, is here for a while now, but uh, what is different this time around with companies like uh, Starlink, which is uh, which belongs to SpaceX, and also OneWeb, OneWeb is that uh, it's a constellation of mega satellites uh, orbiting relatively low, which means they provide, unlike previous service that was uh, slow and expensive, let's say. This one is fast and uh, affordable. Uh, and what is important about them is that uh, they can provide, because it is a space-based and uh, you don't need the uh, infrastructure on the on the ground, they can provide it anywhere on Earth. And right now, half of Earth's population does not have access to broadband internet, so this is a potential uh, revolution. Uh, this is one of the things that uh, I was referring to uh, in this article. And more generally, I was talking also about commercial space activities. Broadband in- internet is one of them, but there are also uh, many other space activities. Uh, it is a new sector, uh, and it is expected to bring a lot of wealth. And, uh, and the article was wondering, where is all this wealth going to go? So while expanding internet access sounds like a great thing, you also discuss its potential implications on the digital divide. Can you give us your thoughts on the effect that space exploration will have on the gap between developed and developing nations? And how will participating countries benefit from the space sector while other countries or minority groups may be left behind? There are two effects going in different uh, direction. Uh, the first one is uh, you have the potential to close the di- the digital uh, uh, divide. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, half of our uh, population does not have access to broadband internet. Uh, if they will have uh, access and uh, uh, and the Starlink is already rolling out uh, uh, in uh, many places, this will be able to provide uh, a few billion people access to internet with everything that it uh, includes. Uh, uh, access to internet might be even recognized as a new human rights. And anyway, in the discussions, uh, it was clear that access to broadband internet 
is also access to education, to a work opportunity, and to and and to many other things. So this is a positive things. Potentially, it could serve all people on Mars, <clears throat> but in in practice, uh, some countries might block it in their territory. China already expressed its reluctance to have uh, Starlink in its borders, uh, just because they they like to monitor the content. Uh, so it might end up not be available in certain areas if uh, if the local government uh, blocks that. This is the the, the first thing, and uh, this is a good part of uh, bringing internet to people who are currently underserved. Uh, on the other hand, uh, it is expected that the that the space uh, sector will be very profitable and uh, will bring a uh, uh, a, a lot of wealth, uh, something like the high-tech sector, but potentially even much more. But uh, this wealth, of course, will not be distributed uh, evenly. Uh, it will go to a handful of uh, leading spacefaring nations. And since we're talking on commercial space, uh, there is one nation that has most of the uh, uh, of the co com commercial space activities and will end up uh, probably uh, receiving uh, all the benefits, which is the U.S. Uh, almost like similar to the high-tech sector where U.S. is uh, dominant, this is also the situation when you talk about space activities. The article uh, shows data. Uh, we built uh, two original uh, data sets, uh, all the organizations all over the world, uh, all, the, uh, all the space organization, uh, and the data is very clear. It is con concentrated, commercial space is overwhelmingly concentrated within the U.S. So while you describe the U.S. as the clear frontrunner in space commercialization, other countries such as UAE and Luxembourg have been particularly ambitious in pursuing space commercialization as well, as you discussed in your paper. Can you tell us some lessons that can be learned from these two countries in terms of what it takes to accomplish successful space exploration and use? These two countries are a very successful example to what you can do, and even in a very short span of time. Uh, if I remember right, UAE space agency is around only from 2014, so not even a decade. Uh, they already sent the uh, astronauts and the uh, rovers. Now, it is true that uh, those two countries are uh, quite rich uh, countries, so you might say that uh, uh, this example is uh, is not good for countries that are not so rich. But uh, what is important about those two examples, they could not have done so alone, uh, not in such a short span of time, and maybe not even in a, in a longer span of time. They could do what they did only because they had close cooperation with a major space nation, in, in this case the, the U.S., and the, the lesson for other countries is that if you want to do space activities, there is a shortcut, which is probably also the only way, is to partner with one of the leading spacefaring nations. Countries who, who do not have the financial means of Luxembourg and UAE can, uh, can, can uh, still do that. Uh, they will achieve less, but uh, they will be able to achieve many things. And in this context, it's important to remember that many leading space nations offer also financial uh, support 
whether they do it to uh, from courtesy to help other nations or or maybe also for geopolitical purposes, uh, soft power, whatnot. But uh, the option uh, exists, and we've seen uh, China do it, U.S. do it. All this to to say that uh, any country, almost any country in the world, uh, if it puts its uh, its mind to it and resources as much as they have, they can undertake space activities. But if and, and only if they partner with a leading space formation. Thank you for that insight. Now I'd love to shift into a conversation on current events. Space-based internet has the potential to bypass national regulations and censorship, spurring conflict between commercial space companies and restrictive governments. International regulators have recently called for Starlink, a satellite internet provider, to disable its terminals in Iran since the company did not receive authorization from Iranian authorities. What does the situation tell us about the challenges of closing the digital divide, even as technology advances? Now that we have this technology, uh, it is technically, or if not now, in a few years, it will be possible to, for everyone on Earth to have a broadband internet. And those who will not be able to, to have that, uh, it will be because their own governments are blocking that uh, and the only reason that their governments will do that is because they want to control the information that their citizens uh, get. Uh, they basically want to censor uh, information that is not uh, convenient to them. So uh, it will be another case where uh, citizens are being harmed by their own uh, government. Uh, in terms of the regulation, I'm not sure. The, I. I think the legal situation is uh, is not as clear uh, as uh, some try to portray it, uh, because this is a new case that is different from uh, from other issues that we had before. So it is not clear that Iran can de- uh, can legally demand that. And I think because it is important, I think the legal aspect should be verified uh, and. Uh, if uh, countries do not have the legal right to block the internet, I think uh, we might consider uh, ignoring their request if this request does not come to benefit their citizens uh, or only to harm them. I understand that it might also seem uh, paternalism and uh, I know there are ethical issues that we cannot get into now and it is definitely not a simple answer yes or no, but I think this is something that we should look into. Uh, after all, freedom of information is already a recognized human rights. It's uh, uh, in the, the in the UN Declaration of Human Rights. So we need to take that also into consideration. Finally, I'd like to end by looking towards the future. What does the future look like in space commercialization? What impacts do you expect to see globally? It seems like that the commercial sector is gradually taking the lead uh, in uh, traditional sectors, but also in creating totally new sectors like uh, broadband internet, like uh, space tourism. Uh, Jeff Bezos uh, uh, from Amazon uh, is planning to do manufacturing in uh, outer space. So uh, the private sector... Uh, is more and more taking the lead uh, in 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 many activities. Uh, it doesn't mean that governments uh, do not have a role. Uh, for example, uh, 
NASA uh, is not just doing its own activities, but it's uh, but also actively supporting the the commercial sector, and this is part of a, a, a policy that began in 2010. So it is official policy also that the NASA will help the commercial sector, and I think we we will see more new services, new technologies, uh, more money being made in the sector. And like we saw in uh, high tech, we will see that it will flow where, to where it is easier and best in many terms to, to do so, which is the US. And I'm saying it as an, as an ob- observation, uh, one might like it or not, but this is where uh, it is heading and even more so uh, than in the high tech, because when you talk about space uh, activities, uh, there are barriers uh, that, uh, because it is space and it is more complicated, and the launch uh, uh, is a, is a very complicated thing. There are more barriers to start a space company than uh, than to do a high tech uh, company. So you are more dependent of a country that has the infrastructure and has the available money for investment and uh, whatnot. So. I think, uh, like there is a, a Silicon Valley uh, in the U.S., we will see a Space Valley or maybe a few of those. Hopefully, other countries will partner with leading space nations, so they will be able. So, also other countries will be able to enjoy the financial and and the other opportunities. This was 37th in the World, the official podcast of the Georgetown Journal of International Affairs. Please be sure to subscribe and leave a comment and rating on whichever streaming platform you use. To support the podcast, you can click the link in this podcast description that says support the show. To read other insightful interviews and articles, please check out gajia.georgetown.edu.